This episode of ACMG Presents Talk Time Live is brought to you in part by Viewfinders Identity Search and Design. Your choice for web design, graphic design, and all multimedia development needs. Visit VFISAD.com and let us bring your vision to reality. Hey there, this is Kyle Abair, the voice of Ryu from Street Fighter V. Rise up. The answer lies in the heart of battle. You're listening to ACMG Presents Talk Time Live. Hadouken! It's time for your Talk Time Live exclusive. You are now about to witness the strength of geek knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special edition of Talk Time Live exclusive. I am your host, Xavier Josiah. This isn't a new interview by any stretch. This is actually an interview that wasn't on the list of interviews that I uploaded before. This is a, a archive interview, if you will. Um, the reason why I'm doing this and why I'm doing this on Independence Day is because this interview happened some four, three, four or five years ago <laughs> on the 4th of July. And happy 4th of July to everybody, by the way. And I decided I wanted to up it now and for you guys to listen to. This is my interview with the one and only Ruben Langdon, the voice. If you don't know the name, you recognize the voice if you're a gamer. He is the voice of Ken Masters from Street Fighter 4 and 5, as well as the voice of Dante from Devil May Cry. So I know you know those names. And this was the very first interview that we had a chance to do. And what was so awesome about it is that, you know, I contacted him and he openly and generously, you know, accepted to do it. Uh, this is the first of three that we have uh, been able to do. And he chose to want to do it on Independence Day. And I was like, I'm all for it. I'm not doing any barbecuing this year. So it's like, it's all good. And we had a great time talking about it so much so that he ended up returning two more times over. And each one of them are significantly different. This one just talks about his work on Street Fighter, his work on Scout Pilgrim versus the World. Yes, by the way, if you love that movie, if you know the scene where all the stunt crew is there, you know, uh, with Lucas Lee, he's stuntman number one. So we talk about that as well and just have a lot of fun. He's just one of the most genuine, uh, genuinely nice guys that I ever had the chance to talk to. One of many that I had the chance to talk to on here. So this is now officially added on to the podcast list with the new one. And what happened basically is that I transitioned from an old provider to a new provider. And it's, for some reason, the RSS feed did not get every file. Thank goodness I have backup files of every interview I've ever done. So that's not an issue. But uh, just not all of them made it in. And I, there's probably some more that I'm going to be able to, you know, upload to in a, a, uh, as the time goes by, too. So all of the interviews will initially be up soon. So, But nonetheless, go out of your way to check this out. And as well as the other ones, too, because we talk about the other ones. Uh, his work on um, Marvel versus Capcom Infinite was the second interview. And then it was kind of segueing or leading into, because I know I talked to him about possible uh, the possibility of a new devil may cry game at the time and then he couldn't say it because of nda you know laws and everything remember when we talked about with ndas and then the third interview was the interview about devil may cry 5 so um you know just awesome guy thank you so very much ruben you know for all the uh support that he's had on this show and um here it is so you now you get to hear it and now you'll be able to find it on talk time live exclusive all the time 
what all you got to do to listen to this and every other interview that we have, just go to the search engine on the podcast page of talktomlive.com, which is right above every single latest episode. And just type in TTL exclusive. You'll find that and find much, much more. So folks, without further ado, here is the first of three interviews with the one and only Ruben Langdon. Here comes a new challenger. Time for your Talk Time Live exclusive. Ladies and gentlemen, happy Independence Day. On the line with me right now is a gentleman who is countless work in both video games and in Hollywood. He is the voice of Ken Masters and Dante from uh, Devil May Cry. He also has done a lot of stunt work, according to Kyle Habert, <laughs> and many, and many, many video games and movies, including one of my favorite movies of all time, and that's Scott Pilgrim versus the World, and we're going to talk about that too. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Ruben Langdon. How are you doing, good sir? Oh, good. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, just before we go, were you the guy at the very front next to um, Michael Sarah uh, you know, on that clip? And 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 Scott Pilgrim. And Scott Pilgrim. I I was uh, stunt double number one for uh, or the first stunt double for that. There was a stunt double scene. Right. I I remember vaguely with that scene with Chris Evans. Yes, Chris Evans. Exactly. I was uh, his his part of his stunt team. I guess his. <laughs> Um, but I also did, uh, so initially for the film, um, we did some test, test work to sort of pitch, worked with Edgar Wright and, and Brad Allen, the stunt coordinator. And, um, we were doing, uh, I was brought on board to help with the pitch package to Universal. It was sort of. Oh, wow. Like they, they had sort of greenlit it already, but because Edgar had all this experimental, um, camera work that he wanted to do and and, mm-hmm. and different techniques and things he wanted to implement into the film to make it look the way it looked. Um, Universal was like, okay, we'll give you a couple of days to shoot. And right. this was before they had fully locked in Michael Sarah. So, right. Uh, so I got to be Scott Pilgrim for two days. <laughs> How cool. It was very, it was very cool. I knew it was just a test and I knew it never in a million years <laughs> I'd ever be Scott Pilgrim. But, um, it was fun to get up, get in the outfit, and I was reading the comics at the time. And oh, the comics was great. Yeah, yeah, and I was instantly a huge fan. And um, and then later, because the whole thing was shot in Canada, uh, and because of its Canada's strict rules for um, uh, employment rules, right, um, right. Basically, they were trying to get me on board as a stunt player uh, and on the stunt team, but they. Uh, unless you were a stunt double and I wasn't Michael Sarah's double in the film. It, it was somebody else. Gotcha. And they were trying to get, unless you're a stunt specific stunt double or have a specific stunt position, they, uh, the Canadian law won't let, uh, performers from the States go up there just to be. Yeah. I've heard many of things about that. Not only just from, from your, the industry that you work in, but other industries as well. Yeah. They're really, really strict. It's it's super strict. I mean, it's strict the other way around too. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it is what it is. But, um, so basically, uh, Edgar, uh, basically wrote me in that part and said, no, this is the guy and this is a part and we're going to give him this. And he's, you know, uh, so they brought me back up to, to, in the film as, as the um, stunt double guy for Chris Evans. Right. So it was, did I, he, I got did to they, be on the film just for a couple of weeks, but um, uh, that couple of weeks was a dear experience and it was a lot of fun. And yeah. 
in something in a, in a movie that you know still to this day up until at least ant-man that we haven't seen much of in that style and it, i i will always love that that's one of my top favorite you know comic book and uh you know uh installments of a movie ever yeah yeah they, he uh, he really honored the comics and you know page from page word from word edgar is uh you know it, it is it's a shame that he left ant-man it, it would have been a, a very different film i think yeah. It turned out pretty good, uh, considering all the stuff that was going on. Right, right. Where you also put on, you were also along the lines for Stunt Work for that, too. So was that also the, like the Edgar Wright package? Uh, yeah, that was in, in the beginning. I was. Uh, yeah, I was brought on to work again with the team, um, Brad Allen and, and Edgar. And uh, uh, we were all looking forward to doing some awesome stuff. And then uh, just there were some script issues that Edgar didn't. Uh, I guess that Marvel didn't like Edgar's script, yeah. even though it had been approved and working on it for eight years. They, they, they made some sudden changes. Um, and Edgar just didn't, you know, they, you know, to be honest, it, it, what you see now, it, it, what's made to the theaters is a completely different version from right. Edgar's version, as well as there was another version, which actually made Edgar uh, leave the whole project. Wow, that was it was a horrible script. I read it, um, and that was sort of the the catalyst to to make Edgar leave. Uh, and I completely understand it based on that. But you know, luckily Marvel's not dumb. They're they're they've got some smart people and some good people there, and they uh, they were able to to bring in you know a new crew and new people to to really take it to where to where it made it now. And and I I think it's a pretty good film. The one. Yeah, it is. Oh, no. I, I, honestly, in my opinion, there's I, not one bad Marvel film. I, I can't say whether Edgar's uh, would be better or worse. Uh, in my personal opinion, in my taste, I would say his version for me would have been uh, better, uh, right. a lot more fun. But it, it's, right. they sort of took it a different direction. And I think what, what they did with it was pretty awesome. Effects wise, you can definitely see Edgar Wright's influence in there and certain, you know, effects uh, scenes. Yeah. Especially especially with the fight scene at the end. Yeah. Um, he, he Edgar sort of set it all up, you know. Yeah. All the, the proof of concept, the test, the um, action design we had. Uh, I had done about four or five weeks of action design testing prior to him leaving. So, um, so a lot of those original concepts and ideas and, uh, effects the way, the way he would shrink and get larger and those things had already been determined and decided right. and set in, in motion. Gotcha. <clears throat> so, uh, a lot of that is his influence and, and I'm, I'm glad they kept him on and they gave him a, a producing credit. Yeah, I, I was I was also happy with that too when I saw that Dan. Yeah, and I mean he so deserves it. He put eight years of development in, into this, and that, it was really his pet project. For it's hard when you're an artist of any type <laughs> and you put so much will into it, and you know to have the you know the brass take it away for you or dissect it yeah. in a way that you it's it's really hard to take in. I mean you, you have to understand the other side of the artist standpoint. Yeah, sometimes and it, it's hard. It could be nerve wracking. And and you know and Marvels has their plan, uh, you know which they've been executing sense, you know, Civil War and the Falcon and the Falcon um, cameo and that man. Yeah. Um, so that all of that was sort of coming after the fact, you know, Edgar, when Edgar got, got on board, 
you know, the Marvel universe hadn't been the Marvel film universe hadn't been right. as uh, established and as grown and as popular as it is now. So it, it's hard. He's sort of working from that older perspective, uh, mm-hmm. and then Marvel is just hit, make you know, rocking it with all the hits. A whole nother beast. Yeah, a whole nother beast. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I'm just glad I was, you know, just a, a peon, a stuntman in the film and uh, got brought on to uh, help be a part of that. And I had a blast. It was fun. That's what's good. And, and Paul was, Rudd, what an awesome dude. He, he just looks like he's a great guy in and out. Yeah, I, I, in the initial uh, phases, helping him, training him to, to get into shape for for the film and showing him some action moves and stuff. And uh, the dude's just a, a all-around pro and super chill, laid-back guy, fun to work with, <clears throat> and, uh, and and dedicated, you know. He, he also, I think, was probably one of the key... Uh, people responsible for making the script better after the after the version that made Edgar walk. Right, uh, I think he was about to as well, but he he stuck with it, and then um, he, I think he requested to get a writer's credit or to have more writing power. Oh wow, that's um, that's really cool. And I think if it wasn't for him, uh, that the <laughs> that old version of the script may have still been implemented. <laughs> so he, I think he really had a lot to say at the end of the day when it came to um, the writing of the film and, and the direction it went. Helps, helps to have powerful friend, uh, friends, indeed. Oh, man. And, and, and especially when they're cool. You know, when you there's a lot of um, people that aren't so cool in, in the industry that you're just like, ah, you got to work with that guy. But Paul, <laughs> he's just such a humble, awesome dude to work with. Always, always a pleasure to work with you, with cool people. <laughs> I want to go back with you from the very beginning of your path. Mm-hmm. You, uh, it's, it's, it is, it's said online, of course, and correct me if I'm wrong. Is it true that you actually, your first acting gig was the Super Sentai, uh, series B Fighter, uh, Kobato? Yes, it is. Yeah, that's, which is also known as, for those who don't know, it is Battle Borgs in the U.S., uh, one of Saban's many, uh, takeaways from Japan. Yeah, uh, Beetle Borgs, I think. Beetle Borgs, here we are. Which I still have yet to see a single episode of, of, an, uh, of the American version. Yeah, and from what I've told, I'm not missing any. Now, between you and me, yeah. okay, I mean, or in our listeners, um, I never liked any of the Saban versions. Mm-hmm. I came in to tape trading time era. And so, you know, it was I watched the Power Rangers, you know, before they, you know, they got into America. And it was a much more dramatic, theatrical type of feel to it. Like it was almost something like you almost see at eight o'clock prime time and people did die and, you know, people didn't come back. And then they brought it to America and they kind of, you know, I, I guess the what was the what's the gentrified version of, <laughs> of um, you know, what you would do to a TV show. It kind of was like that. They they, they uh, watered it down, diluted it for the kids. Yeah. And, you know, hence why we still have Tommy right right now. How was your experience with that? That was uh, my, my exact same takeaway, um, you know, and that and that's the same thing. The watered down thing that you're talking about is yeah. it's the same reason why when I uh, when I was in junior high school, I discovered Japanese manga and I mm-hmm. I was into all the Marvel comics and DC and all that stuff growing up. Uh, complete nerd. Uh, and and um, I once I got a hold of manga, Japanese stories and art, I completely converted. I couldn't go back to U.S. comics. Now, they, U.S. comics is they've they've 
you know, obviously now we have the Marvel universe and DC universe has expanded the way it has, but I couldn't get past the, the tights. I couldn't get past <laughs> the, uh, all the dines and coming back to lives and, and, and um, and, uh, it just became sort of watered down ridiculousness where the Japanese stories had a beginning and an end. And trust me, there's a lot of ridiculous Japanese stories, but at least that for someone growing up at that age, I actually got to see, you know, characters have, uh, emotional problems and issues and deal with life the way in evolution, in evolution and dealing with it in a way that I was still dealing with, dealing with it as a junior high school kid. And, right. uh, and all these superheroes d- to me at that time, uh, again, there's been a major evolution. We're talking, you know, 30 years ago. Uh, right. <laughs> and th- there's been, uh, back in the day, it was, it was just very watered down and stuff. So same sort of thing with the, um, uh, the, the so-called quote unquote kid shows in Japan, you know, they don't water them down as much in the sense that, uh, they make them for kids and adults. They, they, that, and, and adults to be able to comprehend what is good and what is bad and be able to, uh, you know, bring it into the kid. That's the way I always saw yeah. it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and, and kids in Japan are, um, you know, there's this whole, th- uh, idea that we have uh, in the states that you know uh, about violent TV shows and doing all this stuff, but and I agree there is there is definitely something to that and and to me it's senseless violence. If if you can right. explain uh, violence in a show or in and if there's a a violent sort of some some somebody dies or something happens and uh it, it and if you actually make sense of it in in, mm-hmm. in a way that's going to give an emotional response then you're now being responsible with your storytelling you're being responsible right. with your violence if i mean if, I, I know as crazy as that sounds <laughs> um violence is just not it's not responsible at all i think a, i think a good example for that would be joe de condor in battle of the planets uh oh I don't remember the Gotcha Man he gotcha actually, man, but I don't remember the exact uh setting and the characters and He he died okay. actually in I believe in the movie version. Okay. And it was really it really, really, really was a sad, dramatic, adult mature type of death. Right, right. Going in there that I didn't even know until I watched that version that was never in the, of course, uh, again, American version right. either. Well, for me, it, it, it really shocked me when I was watching Robotech. And, ah, yes. And, uh, the Macross saga. And, um, Rick Hunter. Yeah. And with Rick and Roy Foker. I remember Roy Foker uh, died. And, and not only that, he, there, he had, um, there was sort of like an interracial relationship going on. That was one of the first ever, if I'm correct. Uh, I don't, I, I don't know at the time. I, I don't know, but at that time, you know, growing up, I'm like, okay, this is cool. You know, I, I you, you can relate in in having real characters that fall in love, do these things. You know, of course, they have, you know, they're fighting big giant aliens from outer space. <laughs> but the characters, and then you know, he he uh, he, he came home. You know, he came to uh, I guess have a date, and and uh, you know, he dies on her floor, and she's devastated. And watching that as a junior high school kid or even elementary, I think I saw that in elementary school, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I, uh, I teared up and I remember, okay, well, Rick's got it or, uh, Roy's going to come back. You know, that's, you don't just, <laughs> no, it's not, that doesn't happen in cartoons, right? Right, right. You can smash them, you can beat them and they're always going to come back. Um, 
And then he never did the rest of the series. And I was just blown away. And that really. You're still waiting. Yeah. Still, still waiting. <laughs> um, so that. Don't worry. We're all doing that for Optimus Prime, too. So. <laughs> and that made a huge impact uh, on my psyche growing up. Uh, and what it, I think what it does is it shows that there is consequences to the violence where a lot of, I think, uh, at the, especially again at the time, these superhero characters, you know, every time they die, the, issues later they're back to life and right and you don't you don't appreciate life as much i think and and you learn a different set of values and i think that's when you do that you can sort of justify the violence in a way even though there's really no justification to violence but um uh and and that goes all the way to more recent times to one of the of the most violent video games uh ever that i've that i that I've worked on that's also come out is the last of us. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, I think, you know, I have the same sort of conversation. I bring it into the conversation cause it's, I have this conversation around that a lot and violence in <laughs> video games. And I think violence in video games, yes, there's way too much of it. We're always, it's in every video game. The goal is to blow up the bad guy and destroy right. it. But <clears throat> at least in, in the last of us, you're, you're, you, you have a set in a setting, you have characters with, um, real human emotions that mm-hmm. are surviving and there is again consequences uh to your actions and if and and there's too many of our storytelling in, in our storytelling world with 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 everything with all the media uh that we don't we don't have that anymore and i think right. these these stories that that sort of focus on this consequences to our actions type emotions and deal with the emotions with that are just way more connected to the human psyche and then that's why they they are what they are that's why we're able to sort of get into them more and and they're more successful so while you game makers comic writers and everything just (laughs) be more human and You know, speaking of that, you know, it reminds me. Have you ever watched Neon Genesis Evangelion? Oh yeah, very much so. One of my one of my top greatest animes of all time because of that aspect that you just mentioned right there, and how they delve into the psyche exactly. of of kids. And it may, at, by the end of that series, I, it really put a perspective in me, and it actually was a life lesson. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, and, and that's you know that's one of the things I appreciate out of the Japanese. Um, storytellings with comics and manga and everything is because it's not so watered down. Yeah. They they have all the cool stuff, but somehow in America, you know, as we become adults, we think, uh, and and again, this is, this is phasing away. Marvel's doing a great job with this, Mm -hmm. Um, but we're thinking, Oh, it's superheroes. Oh, it's gotta be this. It's gotta be that. And no, you can't, you can't have seriousness and no, the kids will only, uh, like it if it's this. And that's, right. you know, the same with the Power Rangers being watered down and and Beetleborg and all these other shows that <laughs> uh, that the the parents decide what the kids should should and should not like. And then obviously the kids are like, well, I'd rather watch the Japanese version because it doesn't have all the cool stuff cut out. of It doesn't lie to you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um so yeah, so sorry to go on that rant there about all. <laughs> it was a great rant. No. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. <laughs> but how did you actually get the job at uh, in, uh, for that show? So so at the age of nineteen, I um, on a whim, sort of, kind of. I guess it wasn't really a whim because it was it was very uh, uh, planned out for many years. But uh, I 
I wanted to go to Japan. I didn't know how I didn't, I had no idea. I, you know, I fell in love with Japanese comics, um, Japanese storytelling, culture, martial arts, everything. Right. And, uh, at the age of 19, I bought a plane ticket and I just went, Uh, and then I got, I I had no game plan really got off the plane and was like, Oh, I'm here. Now what I do? Uh, I'm taking notes as you say this, because I plan to do the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was, uh, back in, you know, the nineties, uh, things have changed, but, um, Oh yeah. Uh, at least now the signs are in English. <laughs> so yeah. at that time, the, not all the, you know, I went down to the train station and s- saw the Japanese kanji. I'm like, my jaw dropped. I'm like, okay, back, went back <laughs> up to the uh, airport. And I think I slept in the airport for a day, just trying to figure it all out. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, so anyways, I got there and then, you know, you have to make a living and then you, you sort of figure out things. And then I found out that uh, uh, it was sort of, towards the end of the bubble or at the, uh, the bubble had already burst, so to say for the Japanese economy. And, uh, but they still, to a certain extent, were looking for foreigners in to be in, um, uh, catalogs, modeling things and, uh, the occasional commercials. And so in registered with some agencies, they had some local agencies that sort of helped facilitate those jobs and call me up mm-hmm. for auditions. And, um, and then I, <clears throat> I got a call to, to, I started doing the modeling thing to help pay the bills a little bit, doing just random extras and modeling for catalogs and just random stuff. Um, and then I got a call to, to go to an audition for, for the B fighter stuff. And at the time I had just gotten into, um, really finding my interest and I really wanted, I really love Jackie Chan and and Mm -hmm. cinema as well as the manga and, and, and also, uh, Sentai and, um, uh, Tokusatsu. Right. You know, I was getting into that. I'd sort of got into it a little bit before, but, um, was kind of into it. And, and then I started training in gymnastics and martial arts when I was out in Japan. So oh, wow. when I got called for the audition, I was like, wow, this is right up my alley. I'm, I'm into all this stuff. <laughs> How convenient. And, uh, I already knew, you know, I knew the common Rider pose and from the original common Rider pose. Right. Exactly. Uh, so I got called the audition and then they were like, oh, okay. Um, you know, and I, I said, well, yeah, my Japanese skills were, were sort of minimal at that time. I didn't really have much, but uh, and I went to the audition and there's all these super fluent other guys there. And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to get this. This is ridiculous. Why am I even here? Cause the whole, all the dialogue was in Japanese. Right. And, uh, uh, and I said, well, I, you know, I'm doing some Aikido, a little bit of a karate, but, uh, you know, I could do a, a, a transformation pose and they're like, what, you know, a henshin, you know, I could do a henshin, uh, pose they're like what? I'm like, it's from common writers, not from B fighter. But, uh, and they're like, Oh yeah, we'll show us. So I, I, I whipped out a common, the old school common writer, you know, henshin pose with, right. yeah, with the belt. And they were like, Oh, that's very nice. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, and then I, I, you know, I left and didn't think anything of it because uh, again, the whole thing was all in Japanese and, and my Japanese was, was was pretty weak, weak sauce at the time. Um, and then I got a callback and I was like, Oh wow. Interesting. So I went back to the callback and then it was just me and two other guys. And both of the other guys were half Japanese. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, okay, they're uh, obviously looking for a certain level of fluency here. Once again, language is going to be the barrier. Uh, and then they gave me dialogue on the spot without me, with really no time to, 
break it down and, and, and learn it. So I had a rough time with it. But uh, then my agency called me back a couple of days later and they said, hey, they, they really like you. I think you're, they're going to pick you. So I'm like, sweet. So that, that began that saga. <laughs> and, uh, it was a, a, a lot of fun. I learned a lot. I, I became fluent after the series, really, during that series. Right. Uh, all my scripts were in Japanese. I had to break them down and, and translate them all. And uh, Was that a, basically a bunch of assimilation of just being in a culture yeah. itself? Yeah, that was it. That, that series really sealed the deal on my Japanese level. Mm. Uh, uh, I didn't have any translators on set. Right. Um, all my interaction with all the staff and everything was all in Japanese. So um, I got my, when I got my scripts like a week ahead of time, I would, uh, my agency would help me break it down and, and translate it for with me, right? not for me, with me together. Right, sort right. Of break it down. So that was the only real English uh the English speakers that I had around me. And then, and then I had to learn my lines and, and, and not only my lines, I had to learn everybody else's lines too. Um, because again, I didn't, I wasn't fluent. So I had to sort of know what they said, know what my response was, give the right emotion back into it and sort of, you know, the nonverbal communication, the context, yeah, stuff like that. And, yeah. and understand the story. So I could, you know, if you don't understand the story and, and understand the other people's lines, how are you going to deliver your lines in the right you know, the right emotional response. Mm -hmm. So, uh, it was a huge learning experience and, and I'm so grateful for, for, for everything, for the whole thing. And, and, and it really set me on the path to, to where I am now because, um, you know, I had that experience and I, and I really decided that I had so much fun. I remember my first day of shooting, I was like, this, I'm getting paid for this. This is amazing. <laughs> uh, I'm like, I, I'm, this is it. I'm going to be doing this the rest of my life. And, uh, and, to some aspect, I, I am. I'm sort of been putting on the the spandex, the motion capture suits. I worked on the U.S. Power Rangers. I right. um, I feel like I'm still, you know, fighting the bad guys. You know, zombies <laughs> or you know, or or uh, whatever it is. You know, now with all the superhero movies, we're we're all right. still you know putting on a costume and beating up the bad guys. That seems to be my life story. Right now, before I get to the fight, to the fighting game portion, because I do want to get down with fighting games with you, sure. Uh, I, and um, as well as your martial arts background too, um, I wanted to talk about you playing two of the most iconic characters that Capcom has to offer in video game industry. Uh, that be Kim Masters and Dante. You recently, we, they recently just released the uh, long-awaited story mode for uh, the Shadow Falls for the uh, for Street Fighter Five, and I gotta say, I loved it every bit of it you guys all did a great job with it um how did you come along with you know getting both of these parts both for dante and for ken because uh these are guys that just you know yeah no, I, I'm, <laughs> you, I'm, you know more than anybody i'm super honored just to 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 have to fill those shoes i am so it's so grateful and you know i love a uh, huge fan of street fighter huge fan of capcom uh before i even went to japan i was an avid uh, Street Fighter 2 player and, you know, going to the different uh, arcades and also, uh, also when they still had arcades and then uh, <laughs> and then also uh, 7-Elevens, you know, they would have random Street Fighters all over the place. And right. And I, I used to seek, you know, I drive. I, I grew up in Atlanta, so I, I would drive me and my buddy after school <laughs> would drive around and um, and seek good competition. So we'd go to all the different right. malls and and uh, sometimes driving for an hour or two just 
to 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 get to a, a game center where there was some decent competition. Um, right. And Ken was my character, so that was uh, <laughs> coincidentally. <laughs> so I say I, I've always made this joke. Um, Capcom's just paying me back for all the money I'll. <laughs> that you put in. That I put in. It was an investment. <laughs> well, the question is, here's the funny thing, because me and one of my co-hosts actually spoke about this, because me and him are big fighting game fans, too. We mentioned the April Fool's joke that uh, Electric Game and Monthly put in a long time ago. Do you remember that? Or you have you heard of that? Remind me. I, I, vaguely, it sounds familiar. What, 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 remind me it was the reason why Akuma was created. <laughs> they put in on their, on their magazine... Uh, a way to get a character called Shenlong. And in order to get to Shenlong, you had to go through every single um, stage without getting, like, on perfects. And then at the end of the stage, you had to get, um, you had to go through M. Bison without getting hit, and it had to be a draw. Which is, like, the most impossible thing you could ever do. And what they did was they kind of, before Photoshop was ever a thing, and this was in the 90s, too. Okay. Before Photoshop was ever a, like, thing, or at the time, Corel Draw, whatever they were using, they um, put in this pixel-perfect version of what it looked like a hidden character that would come out, beat up M. Bison, and completely dominate him, and then you fight this character. Oh. So, in, 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 in respect to this, every gamer who was fooled by this and didn't see the April Fool's uh, copyright at the bottom, right, right. decided to munch more quarters into the arcades. They made about almost over $10 million in quarters because of this. Wow. And, wow, wow. That, and it it's starting to ring a bell now. I, I vaguely <laughs> remember this, yes. It wasn't Capcom's fault either, and it, because of that, Capcom decided to thank us by giving us Akuma. Ah, there we go. All right. <laughs> so the investment paid off. <laughs> it paid off. It really did. Thank you, EGM, to this day. So you never got into that. You never found out about that at all. I, you know, I, I remember something like that. What year did that come out? Because I, I may have already been on a plane. It was yeah. definitely probably, I think I'm thinking early 90s. Yeah. You know, uh, definitely early 90s when Street Fighter 2 was really hot. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I went to Japan in 94. So it might have been right on that cusp. It was right on that cusp. It, yeah, exactly. As a matter of fact, guaranteed, here's the deal. Um, when you get the chance, if you remember, Google EGM April Fool's joke. Right, right. right. It'll come right up. It's legendary. It literally started the whole entire April Fool's joke online thing. Interesting. To this day. Interesting. <laughs> well, um, I remember arriving in Japan and uh, I didn't have to go far to get good competition. There there, there was game centers everywhere and, and everybody was so good. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but... I also got I was able to hold my own in Japan and they were I remember all the guys there were, and that's stiff competition yeah, over there, they were like well this this white guy's pretty good <laughs> so, were you ever considered gaijin at all yeah oh yeah <laughs> they would say gaijin and I would just smile and just keep on never fails <laughs> um, so no, I had I had a blast. Uh, Street Fighter still to this day is uh, is probably my favorite video game. And um, absolutely, and <laughs> and yeah, I have a have a lot of fun with it. And the character too. Um, I haven't seen the storyboard mode yet. I've been too busy on other stuff. But. I don't think with your schedule, I don't think you got enough time. Yeah. But that, they do have it in sections. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to just sort of sitting down with that. Um, and uh, the. The thing when we recorded it is we didn't we couldn't see any of the animation. It was just they had pre-recorded the uh, Japanese dialogue, yeah, and we had to match the um, the the length of the Japanese dialogue. 
So that's yeah. why the mouths probably don't match uh, when you're watching it. I, I haven't really. Seen. Well, that's just that's common yeah. custom for you know anything Japanese and American related. It, yeah, it's, 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 there's a lot of it depends. You know, um, I think for Metal Gear though, they actually went back and animated the English uh, lip flaps for the. Oh wow! For English, so it is a better match. They still they had Japanese animators doing it, so it wasn't non-English speaking Japanese animators doing it. So, um, right. So it's probably off in some places, but still better than say the Street Fighter because I think they just did one pass uh, on the lip flaps, and then you know that's why when we recorded the English, we had to try to really match the 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 beats and the length of the right right the Japanese voice, but. Which is a Norman anime in general. Yeah, yeah, and it was just kind of like that. But um, so, anyways, we didn't, we couldn't. There was no finished product. I had no idea what it was going to look like, and I've only seen a couple quick glimpses because of my busy schedule of uh, uh, of the story mode animation, and it looks awesome. It's like a full CG. Um, it's the Street Fighter. Yeah. I think me personally, I was waiting for for the longest time. Yeah, because you know when we did the the first Street Fighter four. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the I guess the cinematic, so to say, it was all uh, animated from you know traditional animation, anime style. Plus the little bit of cutscenes that they had. Yeah, to. the little cutscenes, which are almost like still pictures sometimes. <laughs> um, very, they had no budget, so it was uh, right. Um, that's a hell of a no budget. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they put it where it should have gone into the. They, they accentuate the positives and hide it and hit the negatives. Yeah. 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 Um, but luckily with with five, they had that story mode. So I'm really, really looking forward to it. So, yeah, I'm a huge fan. Um, and, and Capcom has been gracious to, uh, you know, call me in on specific auditions. Actually, I got. um the Street Fighter. So I, I have a bit of a personal relationship with Capcom through uh, my company um, and my business partners out in Japan. Um, so and we've been working on the Resident Evil series and um, Devil May Cry. And uh, so there's there's somewhat of a personal relationship there. But then um, through the for Street Fighter, I got it through a, a whole nother thing. I got called into for an audition. They're like, "Hey, you know, you want to come into this audition?" I'm like, "Yeah." They didn't tell me what it was for, and then I had to sign an NDA just to go to the audition. I couldn't even <laughs> tell my friends that I went to a Street Fighter audition. I was peeing my pants at the audition. That's the same. That actually, that's the same story that Cal Haber oh, gave yeah, as well. So I was like, "Oh my god, that's so cool!" That I just went to the audition, and then they called me up and they said, "You know, you got the part of Ken." Then it was just a uh, full uh, soiling of all everything. <laughs> everything came out from all ends, um, <laughs> and, and I was. Uh, Super excited, and and then it, you know the series can they continue to keep making uh, more, and it, it's it's fun. I, I you know you go back for a couple recordings here and there for these other versions, and it's it's the gift that keeps on giving. That's all I can say. Not only that, but you also like Kyle did made a uh, a cameo on uh, Wreck It Ralph. How was that? that? Was, yeah, that was super cool. That was. Uh, <laughs> I, I wish I got to be in the booth with Kyle. We I would always see him, literally like the dialogue in the game or in the film. Yeah. It's like, what's up? What's up? That'd be us passing <laughs> in the hallway. Like I'd be either because they called us in a few times to to re-record things that have different ideas, and uh, we'd we'd come past each other in the hallway. What's up? Yeah. And, <laughs> 
Just get the fist pump yeah, like you would on a game. Exactly. That's pretty much what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was fun. And and, uh, and yeah, and again, like I said, the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> so aside from the uh, – oh, and by the way, let, um, the Dante uh, role, how did you end up getting that real quick? Yeah, Dante, so um, way back uh, in the day, my – my company was uh, and my business partner out in Japan, Takuya. We we would we were pitching to Capcom. We were pitching to a lot of game companies, but we sort of had an in at Capcom that um, if they were going to do cutscene cinematics for games uh, like Resident Evil, then instead of hiring Japanese actors and then dubbing them into English, that they should hire. Uh, American or Western native English speaking actors mm-hmm. to uh, to do the movements because you know I I actually did uh, my first motion capture gig ever was uh, Resident Evil Code Veronica I was the, the role oh wow role of Chris Chris Redfield yeah um, and that was what mid late nineties um, and. So I was the only English speaker, uh, and and then the final project was going to be English. So they had English scripts already, right. uh, but everybody else was doing all their dialogue in, in Japanese. And they they told and I said it was just so weird. And they told me they said no no Ruben we want you to do your dialogue in English. And I said yeah but how are they going to know and how is this going to work and um and it was just really you ever you know you seem a bit old school do you you ever remember this live action movie called Gunhead. Yes. Oh, you do. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. I was hoping you said, I, I was saying like, no, I don't recognize that. I'm not old. <laughs> Same page. Damn it. Yes, I did. So it was based on a Japanese manga series of minimum. Uh, it was a very short series or maybe. Cunhead. Oh my God. I do remember that. So this live action film and they cast some, uh, a couple of characters. Um, uh, so I think they cast a black guy and a white girl. And, uh, but I think they cast them out of Japan. So they weren't like real famous actors or anything. And, and then they had, uh, the rest of the cast was Japanese, but in the movie, they, the, 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 uh, the Americans would speak English and then the Japanese would speak Japanese. And then they pretended that they knew what each other was saying. And it was just the most awkward, weird feeling when you watch this, you're like, well, how does she know what he's saying? And how does she know what they're saying? This is just wrong. Um, so I had a gunhead moment um, doing Resident Evil Code Veronica and uh, it, where I was speaking English and everybody else was speaking Japanese. And I was like, this is just, this is just so awkward. It's so weird. Just me, <laughs> just me performing it. <clears throat> and um, so anyways, I, we, we, we went back to Capcom and we, we said, hey, you know, uh, I had already moved back to the States by this time, uh, and was working on Power Rangers and, um, sort of getting established in, in Hollywood and doing stunts and stuff. And I, and we sort of said, Hey, Capcom, it wouldn't cost you that much for us to do a casting in America and bring, uh, actors out to Japan and just put them up for the duration of the, the motion capture sequences. And, right. you know, and, and you'll get a much better sort of match to body movement, to, um, to voice. And, and maybe, maybe what if we, pitch doing you know finding finding actors who could do it all 
full performance capture is, mm-hmm. is what we were. They didn't have the technology back then to do facial capture or uh, the studio sound quality wasn't good enough to do the sound as well. Right. Um, so, but we sort of pitched the idea of, of full performance capture, having one actor do, do the capture and do the voice. Um, and Capcom was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so we did a test with uh, Resident Evil uh, Outbreak. Um, mm-hmm. It was some reshoots, actually, that they needed to do. And we, we did a casting session in the States, and we brought the actors out. And they really liked the result. And then um, Outbreak 2 came along. We did that. And then uh, and then they said, well, we've got this other, you know, we're, we're sort of thinking about redoing this franchise, Devil May Cry. Uh, one was successful, two, we had to rush and do it, but we really want to take our time and sort of reboot the series with three. Um, and they came to us again and they were like, can, can we can we do that casting thing you guys are doing? And like, yeah, let's do it. So, um, so I was in charge of casting uh, Devil May Cry and and then of course I threw myself in there. I'm like, well, this is uh, this is Dante. <laughs> Why not? So so I auditioned for the role of Dante, um, and Virgil actually, mm. uh, and I brought in like Dan Southworth and uh, had Johnny Bosch actually come in and, and audition for Dante as well, um, mm. back in the day before he 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 got the role of Nero. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, Devil May Cry 3. I mean, not 3. Four. It was 4, wasn't it? Yeah. So 4. That was actually one of my favorite ones, too. And uh, Yeah, and then I had, you know, guys. So, so I brought in a lot of the Power Rangers because that's who I was working with. And we needed uh, sort of actors who could be more physical and, yeah. and could handle the physical um, demands that the motion capture and this action-heavy game had. So, uh, and and I sort of didn't do a full big open casting um, because we wanted uh, myself and the company was still kind of new. We didn't want to bring anybody over to Japan who we didn't know. We wanted to make sure that you know everybody who 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 were gonna whoever got the part was going to sort of at least um they were battle tested battle tested and, and knew they were going to be able to handle you know foreign culture being in mm-hmm. environment and all this so uh so i kept it you know pretty intimate and brought in most mostly uh ex power rangers <laughs> and, <laughs> and um hey whatever works hey and, and yeah it, you know and it did and it worked. Yeah, it worked fabulous. I mean, the, all the scenes in uh, DMC four mm-hmm. is phenomenal. I mean, I absolutely it is one of my favorites out of the, out of the bunch. And I actually just, I bought the remastered version for the PlayStation four, too. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And it, it seemed to do really well. I, I, I heard that it did better numbers than the than the, the original the, or the reboot, the DMC. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Wait, what is your feelings about that one? <laughs> well, uh, you know, it's not me, so <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> no, I'm, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean, I liked it, but it was like I think it was like it was kind of like what I saw out of the Amazing Spider-Man one and two, and it was like, all right, this is all right, but why? Yeah, I <laughs> I, I liked the gameplay. I thought it, the gameplay and the, the controls were were definitely an upgrade over the 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 other right. Um, but then it would go to the story mode, and you know, and Dante the character, it just was such a far stretch from what right. we all had come accustomed to what 
Honestly, I felt like I was watching Supernatural. Yeah, it didn't. Yeah, exactly. It didn't. It definitely was not. They shouldn't have. It, should, it was a different game. It was a different. Yes. Yeah. A different. And I know that's what they were trying to do. They're trying to reboot it. And they thought, oh, well, maybe the audience will like this better. But if you like, hey, if you got something that works, why, why mess with it? You know, why not just improve on what you have as opposed to go down a whole nother um, path? You know, people, people did not not like you know devil may cry the no it was a good it was a really good game they, i mean they liked the oh. game they liked the the characters and if why would you mess with that then i guess that's mm-hmm. my big thing if it's not working sure yeah devil may cry 2 didn't work and it wasn't right. the numbers weren't there they rushed it and they were like okay so we're going to re essentially 3 was a reboot mm-hmm. that they were going to you know go back to when the character was younger and we're going to bring in you know and add uh, actually we helped to find uh, Yuji Shimomura who was the uh, action director and the cinematic director for, right. for uh, the cutscenes and uh, it was kind of his style of, of over the top craziness <laughs> um, and and they did you know they did it it worked people loved it so it wasn't broken. When we finished with four, Devil May Cry four, everything still worked. People were happy. Mm-hmm. Why, you know, why change it? So that was my big argument with, with I guess, with Capcom and, and the reasons for doing that. And who knows? People, somebody got an idea and it went, and then it just kept going. Um, right. But then, you know, then it's released and the numbers are shown and people see it and they're like, yeah, it's not really Dante, though. It's not it's not the, the character that we fell in love with from the series. We, respe- we respect it. But at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, we wanted that white hair guy. Exactly. And then they brought <laughs> they, and then they brought in, you know, they said, well, let's do this special edition reboot to see where we're at. And the numbers mm-hmm. are insane. So it's like, right. OK, that goes to show that there's still a love for this character, for this character. So. So at this time, have you heard any gripes about possibly bringing him back in some form or fashion? Only rumors, only from what, uh, you know, it's been, it's been a while. Uh, yeah. Zuno-san, I, I remember, came out in some interview uh, way back and said, yeah, they were thinking about it or talking about it. And, and I don't know if he's on another project these days or what's going on. I, I haven't been in, in touch with him personally. So uh, I don't know. Uh, hey. You would think that they're going to learn that those guys would learn the lesson right. and, and do something. But, you know, I know the more of the personal connections I have at Capcom, they're more in the Resident Evil franchise. Right. So I don't, if there is something cooking, uh, a lot of times those guys, it's very compartmentalized over there. Uh, it's like, right. it's like, uh, you know, the NSA or <laughs> the FBI <laughs> and nobody talks to anybody. And, right. um, so one project to the next, I don't, I don't, uh, have any insights on anything. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Um, going back to the fighting game portion, uh, Street Fighter was your best. Did you pl- ever play any other of uh, the titles? That it ever came out, anything from SNK and all the stuff, or any of the other uh, Capcom fighters? I gave Mortal Kombat a, a try, and it just didn't have the feel, and mm-hmm. it felt, uh, you know, there were some fun things in there, the whole finish him stuff and all that. Yeah. But it just, I just couldn't get into it. it. Didn't flow. There's always two religions to everything, and didn't, when it comes to fighting games, is one or that. <laughs> it didn't flow. It doesn't have the flow. It's very, mm-hmm. to me, it's very counterintuitive. I guess once you get into Street Fighters as well. Um, um, yeah, I did play some of the SNK games. I remember the Neo Geo at the time was making its 
making its rounds. Uh, yeah. Going to the, what was that? What was the name of that? Um, that, that store that used to sell the video games, uh, what in Japan? No, no. In the States you'd have it at the mall. So it was called uh, uh, GameStop or no, are you talking before game EB games? Yeah. Before, before GameStop, there was a, was electric boutique? No, before that. I don't know. Maybe it was just my area. Funko land. No, no, it was some, all right. I'm out of, <laughs> it was like, I don't want to say like Fishers or something like that. It was some kind of, uh, I forgot the name of it. All right, if any of our listeners are listening to this right now and that sounds familiar, let me know. It's not, no, it's not Fishers. It's something like, it's some like dude's name or something. I don't know. It's, uh, it's weird. <laughs> it was very, you know, it was. Are you sure that was a game store? Yeah, it was a game store. It was a game store. And it was always right across from the gold mine or from the, 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 the gold mine. You remember that arcade in the. That I don't, it wasn't one around my area. Okay. But I, I am Actually, familiar with that up. franchise. Say it again. What part of the country did you grow up in? I'm I'm in, uh, you're, I'm in Philadelphia right now, so that's the whole East Coast uh, realm. Yeah, yeah. That, I was well, Atlanta's East Southeast, so. I, mm-hmm. I believe there was some down in that uh, in that region. Yeah, I I'll remember it. It, it uh, it's just slipped my mind. I'll remember the. <laughs> the, the but anyways, uh, so they used to sell the Neo Geos for like two hundred, three hundred dollars, right? The system. It was insanely I, uh, expensive at the time. I mean, no, it was actually six hundred. Six hundred, and correct. the games were like, and the games were about three hundred. Yeah, and I would just drool and just think, oh, one day. <laughs> and the car. You know what? I used to love the I used to love the uh, Japanese commercials for those. Oh, I hadn't seen them. Uh, oh, they were epic, man! They made you really, really want this expensive <laughs> car. I'm gonna have to go online later and check that out. Check some YouTube clips. <laughs> But um, as a stuntman, when did that? When did your love for stunts uh, come about? When did you uh, begin that? Well, when I when I did B Fighter, um, I, I I you know I saw the the biggest thing I lacked uh, was my physical ability. And even though I'd been doing martial arts and stuff, I I I fell in love with Jackie Chan in in uh, in high school. Yeah. And I saw on the show, I saw that. To get to that level, to the be the Jackie Chan level, I had so far to go, and I and I would see these stuntmen, and I'd see them uh, in the suit actors, and I would see them do the acting, and they were, you know, they were really good. Some of the guys were Jackie Chan level quality. Right. They would act, and then they would um, do their moves, and they would, you know, throw some dialogue. It was just a lot of, and I was like, that's what I want. I want to get to that level where I can just be like them, mm-hmm. be like Jackie Chan. Which means a lot of injuries will come. Yeah, you know, you, at that time you're just you're just going for it. You don't think about all the injuries. <laughs> and you're young too. Yeah. So. so I, I um, so luckily in Japan uh, at the time and still to this day they have, uh, what I guess the best definition is called action schools, where they yes. actually teach you how to do martial arts, uh, acting. Um, and sword fighting and sort of everything in one. And it's sort of the, the, the martial arts fighting is very close to uh, sort of Asian Hong Kong style fighting. So you mm-hmm. do the reactions, you do the over the top reactions, you know, Hong Kong twists and all these right. um, uh, crazy reactions. Some wire work uh, was, was uh, trained, but mostly it was about uh, acting in a, in a fight scene, you know, it's, a, mm. it's its own specific type of acting. You can't, you don't just, um, uh, 
uh, there's a lot of timing and distance and specific moves have to be thrown a certain way. And, uh, and there's schools out there in Japan that actually teach all this stuff. Unfortunately in the States, we're very limited to, to that, that kind of teaching them. Most of the people here get good just by going out and shooting their own stuff right? and seeing what works and, Oh, I should, I should emphasize this, or I need to put more energy in this area. Um, so, so I was very fortunate to have that experience and to be exposed to that. And, um, the, when I started working on the series, there's a Japan action club, which I think is now Japan action enterprises, uh, Chiba Shinchi, um, or, uh, Sonny Chiba's school basically he right. started it. And, oh, wow. and then, uh, all of the guys who were performing in the suits would train there on, uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And Right. They'd invite me to training. So I was like, yeah, I love it. So <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I was loving the training and I was loving the new skills that I was getting from pursuing that more than actual acting and mm-hmm. more than uh, pursuing acting in Japan. It was just, I was felt like I was going through uh, fighting an uphill battle uh, just because of the roles. There just wasn't any roles. After B-Fighter, there literally was no, no for years, there was other than the commercials, back to doing commercials and, and uh, catalog stuff. And there was nothing juicy role-wise for me to even seek to do. Uh, stunt-wise, too, there wasn't really a, a need for a white guy stuntman, but right. I still was getting uh, a lot of the skills that I knew that I needed. And then uh, then I, I moved to Hong Kong. Um, after a couple of years, I went down to Hong Kong, and I was sort of checking that scene out and sort of came across the same thing. There wasn't really – the only white guys they were looking for is just like a bad guy, and, and I was – Right, right. Kind of young and had that boyish look, and I didn't really have that bad guy look at the time. So it was another uphill battle. Uh, and then uh, I kept hearing that, you know, Power Rangers was going on in the States, and I should probably go check that out. And um, so that was sort of my, I, I got that training in, in Japan and a little bit of practice to implement that training in Hong Kong. And then when I got to the States, uh, you know, I went to Power Ranger set and right away, all of the stunt guys were like, Oh, we, we could totally use you. You speak, right. when you speak Japanese and you can, I can, you have become liaison. At this yeah. Point. I could communicate with the team. And, and two, I'm a white guy that I can double other white guys where they always have to throw a wig <laughs> on those guys. Right. And, uh, and there was more white guys, more white guys to double and do stuff for in, in the States than there was anywhere else. So then I was sort of invited to come and, and, uh, be part of the, the Power Ranger stunt team. Did you also learn, uh, your martial arts discipline during those times too, or did yeah. you already have it before that? No, no, I didn't start mars- my martial art training until I would, until I moved to Japan until I was uh, 19. And, uh, so I, uh, I was just a, a nerd at the, up until then. I just geeked <laughs> out over all the stuff and never, Physically. Or you could be considered an otaku at this point. Right? I was definitely an otaku. Yes, <laughs> that would be the more proper. So people who don't know what otaku is, but I'm sure your audience does. I was right, full right. on otaku, uh, and I, you know, on my free in my free time, I'd hang out in Akihabara, and uh, you go, you know, this was before the maid cafes or any of the mm-hmm. stuff that they have now. Now they've got like owl cafes. Oh my god, it's like it's crazy the stuff. <laughs> um, I would just go and, and, and just drill in the streets over the f- cool figures. Um, right. and, uh, and then go to the game center, of course, and play street fighter. But, 
so, so my stunt career really didn't start until I worked on Power Rangers, and then I was part of the stunt team. And every day we were, you know, it was different. You know, you're a bad guy, you're a monster this day. Sometimes when they had uh, the reunion episodes or they needed an extra um, blue or red ranger, I got to wear wear those suits and that was kind of fun and cool. But most of the time I was just a bad guy or doubling for one of the actors before they transformed if they had some stunts to do. Um, So, and that's where I got... I was able to put a lot of the things that I learned to practical use. And I really got to understand the stunt world. And, um, and yeah, it just went from there. And I, later I eventually, I still, cause I had still had one foot in Japan, another foot in Hong Kong and, uh, you know, living and working in, in LA on power Rangers. Uh, I, I would get the calls from, you know, uh, I got the call to go work with Jackie Chan on the medallion. Um, and so, Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. That, that was one of my, uh, my, uh, actually one of my faves of his. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It was one of my guilty pleasure. That, faves. It was, oh wow. It was just, a, it was such a challenging film. It, it's a lot. Of, <laughs> it was uh, just, I don't know what it was about the movie, but it just felt like I need to really like this. Yeah. I don't know. It's, <laughs> you don't, you don't need to like it. I, <laughs> don't, I don't know why. Don't, I don't know why it was something about that medallion, especially. But um, but yeah, that so that was my first opportunity. Well, not first. Actually, I I, I did a little bit of back behind the scenes help on um, Jackie Chan my stunts. That was mm-hmm. my first time really interacting and, and hanging out with Jackie, and then um, uh, and then Rush Hour. Uh, I didn't work on the Rush Hour films, but. I uh, was sort of again had, had friends with a lot of the, the stunt teams and, and hanging out with with Jackie and the crew on Rush Hour Two behind the scenes, and then on uh, then I got the call to work on Medallion, and uh, yeah, it was it was cool. It was a great experience, and every every other experience I had sort of prepped me and prepared me to work for the, you know, to get the next step. And then all of that combined, by the time I got onto Avatar, I, I felt I'd worked with the best right. uh, until I worked with James Cameron, who was the best. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just when you think you're at that level, just when you think you're, at that level you're like, wow, okay, you're bringing <laughs> to a whole nother level of professionalism and just demanding, you know, every, right. every, everything that I had been prepped for. If I hadn't have worked with Samuel Hung and Jackie Chan, um, I probably would have not lasted a day uh, with James Cameron. It was. It's funny because, like, you know, when we were interviewing Kyle, he mentioned you. Oh, okay. And, and he was like, "I wish just once that I can do, you know, a stunt like you did." <laughs> I understand why now. Well, <laughs> at the same time, hearing all of that you're doing to get to that point is like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's definitely it didn't like it didn't just happen overnight. There's definitely. Uh, yeah. Uh, years of training, practice, and um, patience, and, and patience, and step by step relationships uh, of going into all this, and um, and I just feel that you know I've been blessed to to f- sort of follow my passions and my joy, and not and never give up on that, and, and you know, and never throw in the towel, and then right, and and that I think that persistence um, to to never, never give up. And it's, it just leads to one thing to the another. 
it's really funny and I'm glad that you absolutely said that because I constantly say that a lot to people that I know and you know people that are going to want to go in the same similar path that you and I are going or have been to or something like that whereas that some people just you said it best throw out uh, throw the towel early yeah there's no need I, it gets frustrating uh, and we have all these external circumstances that are sort of telling us we can't do this and uh yes and and you know if it's not just a situation but people and other you know uh, sometimes our close family and friends are like you know you really should you really shouldn't be doing that oh yes and it, <laughs> it's like well who are you to say what i'm supposed to do or not do obviously if i'm causing harm to anybody then that's then that's not harm to anybody or myself then that's that's not cool that's not kosher but right. hey if i'm just following my passion if my passion happens to be something that you don't understand or it's way off from what you're used to that's okay you know i'm not right. causing any harm i'm doing what i love and i'm going to i'm going to continue to do it absolutely and that as absolutely. long as we continue to do that some it leads to the next thing it always does and if you so if you you, you can never have that opportunity to work with James Cameron if you don't go to that martial arts class, uh-huh. you know, and, and train and, and put yourself in under the, you know, and, and work in those in those ways. And and you may not see it because it took. Yeah, it took a decade to get to that path. But, you know, you ha- it starts somewhere. And, it, and as long as you're following your passion. And I say, and I'm sort of quoting somebody else here, but it's following your passion and out of all of the available choices that are made to you in that moment, uh, choose the, the, the most exciting one, the best one of all the choices. They're never settling for second best. Absolutely. And also, can I add also, if you just absolutely have fun and love what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Add it to that as well. Because that's, that's, that's it. That's following, following your joy. Yeah, and, absolutely. And it leads to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. And never by never settling second best, you're, you're never settling. Because if you settle for that second best, you're going to get the second best choice. And, and that's what you want it. And that's what you're settling for. And that's and at some point, that's what you want it. That's what you get. Exactly. Exactly. So, <laughs> so um, yeah. let me give you one, actually two more before, uh, and I'll give, we'll go with the plugs and thank you again for, I mean, this has been absolutely a pleasure. Oh, uh, it's fun, fun stuff to talk about. <laughs> pretty much. This is probably my best 4th of July ever. Thanks to you. <laughs> <laughs> the fireworks are happening here, people. I'm just want to point it out. Oh, oh very cool. <laughs> Um, you you are a martial artist, so I just want to know: Are you a mixed martial artist fan? I I, I am a fan. Uh, I don't watch it as much. I mean, I do if if UFC is going on. Uh, they have become really overbearing with their uh, with the amount of content they're providing. First of all, yeah. yeah I, so I, I don't, I'm not like it's, I don't follow, don't feel like you're the only one. <laughs> don't follow religiously, but I do. Like I caught what? Not, I don't think I, I think I missed the last UFC. I saw the one before. Uh, so every now and then, yeah, I'm, you know. The, the, with the big fights, in other words. The big fights, yeah, yeah. Are you, you know, going to see around, uh, 200? Wait, I'm sorry? Are you uh, looking forward to 200? Uh, I, dude, sure, yeah, I probably. I don't know. It depends. I don't know who the lineup is. That one's Brock Lesnar versus Mark Hunt, and uh, right. that is also uh, John Jones finally trying to get his title back from D.C. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. No, I, I will. I, again, I don't know all the players involved and, and all that sort of lost track. I, w- I was a big fan. I used to go all the time, uh, not to the fights, but when I lived in Japan, I, I went to um, 
Pride? Went to Pride. And, oh, wow. wow. And <laughs> there was a number of uh, different ones going at the time that are all sort of falling apart. But um, Pancreas and all that, yeah. Pancreas. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely, uh, you know, I, I used to train in BJJ and, and um, sort of injured my knee a year ago and I've been away from it for a little bit. But I'm looking forward to getting back into it uh, very soon. But yeah, it's it, it's a lot of fun, um, and you know, still training. You never stop. You know, still yeah. there's always something new to learn, always something new to do. So I like that a lot of shows and movies are now implementing BJJ. Yeah, a lot yeah. more. It's you know, and I think it's we've seen it's all about what the audience has seen and what they're used to. And we've seen a lot of the same old, you know, uh, I remember Hong Kong action was sort of like the, the thing and it was the, the common choreography. Yeah. And the, the power ranger action. And then, you know, and now we're getting into, we're seeing some cool, uh, modified BJJ moves that grappling and such. Yeah. That are sort of like, um, implementing locks and mm-hmm. throws and, you know, um, arm bars and those kinds of things. I think it's being a little overdone personally, uh, to my mm-hmm. taste. What, oversaturated. Oversaturated. Okay. Now it's like every actress is jumping on the guy's head and who would you be referring to (laughs) just any movie you have with with a girl fighting a guy she's gonna jump on him and bring down with an arm bar that's a marvel signature right at this point you know they're okay because they they can sort of they i think they probably started the trend but then it seeps over to the tv shows or anything else yeah uh, Agreed. But, that, you know, but that happens with every, you know, that happened when we saw, you know, the first Hong Kong spin, you know, or the, the right. first, uh, you know, aerial twist or something, you know, whatever it is. It's always, but, uh, it, it, yeah, it's fun to see the development of fight choreography and and its evolution and, um, and where it's all going and how. You know, that's sort of my business is it's mm-hmm. doing these moves and doing them on the big screen. So uh, it's nice to see how the evolution uh, with the popularity of UFC and these types of moves. I think it's really ground. It's brought the the everybody was going Hong Kong crazy with all the wires and, and going <laughs> flying and everything. And now it's sort of grounded it down a little bit. Right. And we're like, oh, wait, not everybody has to fly in a wire. Uh, or we can use wires in a subtle way, which is how, you know, I really respect. Kind of what they're doing now, right? Yeah, and that's what it's, I think the evolution has gone to that. And I've really respected Jackie all these years because he uses wires all the time. But mm-hmm. in a very subtle way, so you don't, you don't, it doesn't, you, you know, they're not crouching tiger flying dragon. Right, dragon. which was the epitome of it all at that point. That was yeah. the prime. At that point, it was like, okay, you, we need to tone it down from that point. Only right. they got it. They only did it. Don't do it. Don't anybody else do it. Yeah, exactly. And I and I, it's a beautiful movie, and I love the choreography in it. And I think they yeah. did. Uh, Wu Ping is the master and did an amazing job. But yeah. it seemed like then everybody was flying, and you know, in the cop TV cop series, you know, whatever, whatever the trendy cop series, whatever. 
now you have some girl flying through the air to tackle the guy. I'm like, wait a minute. Is she, are we in Crouching Tiger or is this? Right, right. <laughs> when did this happen in New York? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one last question, and then I could go to the plugs again. And um, I'm, I'm put you to the test right now. We usually have uh, one of my co-hosts, Andre Stokes, does uh, what is called ACMG Debates mm-hmm. on our Facebook page. So I'm going to do this to you. And uh, forgive me. Um, if you act, you produce, and you do your own stunt, mm-hmm. which one, if you had to choose one, would you prefer? Acting. Say the list again. Acting. You, acting, producing, and uh, your own stunts, and doing a stunt work. Okay. You only have to choose one. Which one would it be? I would say acting. Okay. Yeah. And basically because, you know, safer. Um, <laughs> the, when you When you act... You're sort of mm-hmm. doing all of those other things anyways, right. um, because you get a hold of a character and then you're sort of break, you're sort of embodying that character um, and you're 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 producing a character now. You're producing mm-hmm. um, all the aspects of it. You're giving them a background. You're doing all that. Um, you're creating the development of that character. Per exactly. And then yeah. and then as far as, you know, doing the stunt work, if you can perform. If you're if you're not uh, besides yourself and Tom Cruise, yes, right. Well, yeah. Well, like if you know if you, the, what I've noticed even in roles, um, sometimes I'll, I'll get cast as something and then maybe they don't really know about my physical ability, but then they they're like, oh, well, if you can do it, then yeah, you're gonna save save production money, and uh, and depending on how dangerous and all that stuff. But if you the more you can do then the less they're going to have the stunt double anyways they may have a stunt double just in case right but, right uh but that you're going to get more screen time and more everything if you can do that so you're sort of you sort of already it's a given that you will do your own stunts if you can right so, so um so you are you're already going to you know depending on the role obviously if it's a physical role you're going to have you're going to have a physical role you're going to do stunts so it seems like all, i think acting is almost the all encompassing of all of that Ah, good choice. Very well, as you said. So, uh, Ruben, thank you so, so, so much for uh, just taking the time out and uh, just talking with me about your career and everything that you're doing right now. And it's been a blast. It's been absolutely a blast. And I I do hope that we can possibly have you on in the near future. Sure. You know, we can find a crack in a hole in your schedule. (laughs) Give me a couple months. I got to get this project I'm I'm working on now. Get it done. Not a problem. I think this episode will last quite a bit. Awesome. Very cool. Thank you so much. Now, right now, if you don't mind, uh, you could tell us where we can follow you, what you're doing next, and uh, you know where to go from there. Yeah, my uh, my website's Ruben Langdon, my first name and last name dot com, and um, I'm always posting, uh, you know, news updates and con appearances and uh, that kind of stuff. I have a couple links on that site to a couple other side projects I'm doing uh, when I'm not full time on set I uh, I'm a documentary filmmaker and I'm working on a couple series I'm working on a series right now called Interview with Ed Extra Dimensionals mm. and I uh, and I sort of seek out these uh, other worldly phenomena and uh, ETs and extraterrestrials and uh, extra dimensionals and sit down and try to figure it all out figure out our universe and what's going on here that sounds like the very Taoist thing to do. Taoism <laughs> <laughs> comes to play in a, quite a bit, actually. I, I can I can hear it in your tone and your voice. And a matter of fact, your emails had the quote, the Bruce Lee quote in yes. there anyway. 
Very cool. So uh, thank you again for everything and uh, best of luck to everything that you're doing right now. And uh, thank you so much for being a part of Talk Time Live and the ACMG brand as well. So, uh, guys, that is it for now. I hope you guys enjoyed it. So on behalf of myself Mm -hmm. and Ruben Langdon, this is ACMG Presents Talk Time Live. We are out of here. Happy Fourth of July, people. Take care. (laughs) 